Let's pray. Father, now we thank you for this wonderful time we've had to worship you, and we trust, I know, Father, that the worship that came forth earlier is opening our hearts and opening the way for your Spirit to come and to minister to us today. Father, you've not called us together today as by accident, but you've called us together today for a purpose, your purpose. Jesus did not come here to do what he wanted, but he came here to carry out your will. And so he said, I only do the things I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father say. And Lord, today may I do that. May that be what comes forth from this pulpit and in this place today. Only to do what we see you doing and only to speak what we hear you speaking. Father, we trust you today. May we have ears to hear what you are saying to Faith Christian Center this morning. For we're living in very perilous, difficult times But you've put us here for such a time as this for your purpose. And Lord, help us today to open the eyes of our understanding that we would see what that purpose is for our lives and for your calling us here together. We thank you for what you've called us to do. You enable us and you empower us to do. And for that we give you thanks. Now we ask you, Father, to guide my heart and my lips that we may speak forth only your heart and your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, as I shared with you a few minutes ago, um, getting away and being able to... I knew I was finished with the series of What is Truth? And it was time to get on to something else. I just didn't know what it was. I had something in mind. And while I was sitting there, and again, it was wonderful because I had a chance, instead of having to go somewhere or do something, I could just sit there with my cup of coffee and my wife next to me and we could just pray and just meditate and let God speak to me and then take walks on the beach and let God continue to speak to me. And I really felt the Lord began to ask me a question. And so since he's asking me this question, I'm going to ask all of us this question. And the question is, why are we here? I think it's a valid question. Several years ago, we did a series on why are we here, and periodically it's good to go back and check up, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because you can get doing the same thing over and over again, which may be good things, but you forget why you're, and the why is far more important than the what. The why is what, is, is what motivates. The why is what empowers. The what are just the details of how you carry out the why. Everybody with me so far? Okay, good. So, yes, some of you are. That's all right. You fig- we'll figure this out together. So the Lord began to talk to me about why are you here? And then He began to open my eyes more and, and speak to me that the church is at a crossroads right now. And I don't believe it's just Faith Christian Center, but I'm, we're here to talk about Faith Christian Center this morning that we're at a crossroads. We're this year, no, this year we've already celebrated, um, next year we celebrate, I think it's 39 years of existence. And this church was founded by Sam's and Donna Smith. Pastor Sam was of the charter class of Rama, and he pastored a church in Stillwater, Texas for a while. His sister was Vicki Jameson, and she was a well-known evangelist, and she came, when God put her on her heart to come up here and begin a minister, and then God put it on Pastor Sam's heart to resign his church and, and help his sister. And that's how they got up here. And they were just touring up here when God spoke to him to found this church. And so that was almost 39 years ago. And God did that for a purpose. And I believe that purpose is still valid. But sometimes we forget what that purpose is. So it's time to go back and look again at what the purpose of the church is and of this church. But in the process of doing that, I felt the Lord ask me a question. And this is why, about why we come to church, why we're involved. Um, and what's happened is, you know, we're going through a series of changes. Uh, we've taught, we've, we've, we're going through the changes with the radio station that I've shared with you, going through changes with our school. Several years ago, we went with physical changes so that it looks different than it did. I was looking at some old pictures the other day, and I, I remind, show the, the, the blue carpet up here and, and the little, little runner I used to stand on, and, and, and the, the white banisters we had up here. And the Lord just dealt with me a bit back then. It was time to change and, and to modernize some things. But when, when we go through change, we find out why people are here. And, and when we change, because before we had the blue carpet, we had red carpet. And when we went from red to blue carpet, people left. Because they must have believed the anointing was in the red carpet, and blue carpet doesn't have anointing. It's amazing when we start evaluating what the anointing's in. Because the anointing's not in the word, I mean, it's, not, it's in the word, it's not in the carpet, it's not in the person, it's in the word. It's in the word of God. 
And that's what's kept this church stable for so many years. We've gone through a number of crises. We've, as many churches have, difficult times. And what's kept this church steady and strong is this church was not founded on a personality, and it could not have been founded on Pastor Sam's personality, those of you who knew him. It was founded on the Word of God. And I've endeavored, this is why I spend so much time going through the Word of God. That's not a popular nowadays. In fact, a lot of pastors don't even read the Word of God anymore. But many of them will start out with a scripture and then they go off and do a teaching. But I take the Word of God and I break it down for you so that you can take it home with you because the anointing is on the Word of God. It's on the Word of God. And so that's been one of the strengths of this church. But, but we can, even with that foundation, we can forget why we're coming or even why we're coming can change. And so I felt the Lord's asked this question to me. And I'll explain it, and then we'll get into, into why we're here. And the question he, I felt him asking me is, are, are, you, are you here to have church or to be the church? Are you here to have church or to be the church? What does that mean? Well, it's very important. The difference is very important. Because having church is an experience, there's used, that used to be an expression that people had in the Pentecostal days when, you know, people were jumping and running around church, you know, uh, just having a great time, and they would at least say, boy, didn't we have church today? And what they're referring to is the experience that they had of the Holy Ghost, and some of it was the Holy Ghost, and some of it may have been their own ghost, but it was an experience that we had together. And what can happen out of that is we start coming for the experience, or we come because of the people that are here. I get to see people I don't usually get to see. I mean, Nick lives up in, outside of Worcester. I don't get to see Nick because I don't get up there very often, but I look forward to seeing Nick when we're here because what allows us to see each other, and many of you, is we come to church. And so you come to church and there's certain people we look for, and we're glad to see them, and, we, you know, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the experience. There's nothing wrong with, with, with socializing and, and joining ourselves together, together with people. But if that's all we come for, there are a lot of social clubs around you can get the same thing out of. And so when we come to have church, I was reading a, 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 a devotion the other day by A.W. Tozer, and boy, he could nail it sometimes. And and he said that the problem with the modern day church, and that was back in the 60s, is that churches become man-centered, no longer God-centered. Man-centered means I come for what I get out of it. My son on staff here has an expression, I've heard it elsewhere, it's the consumer mentality of Christians. And, and, the, and, and there, were, there, were a, there were a number of movements over the last decade or more than that, 20 years, that kind of facilitated that. There was the Word of Faith movement. And I was a product of that. I went to a Word of Faith school. And it's very valid. But some of it can become focused on us. What are we getting out of this? And here's the problem. When I'm not getting out of it what I think I should get out of it, I get out of it. (laughs) I leave. If I'm not getting what I come for, it's like going to a, a restaurant and you know, you've all these expectations. Boy, I've heard the food's great. I've heard the service is great. And you get there and the meat's raw and the service is lousy. You don't want to go back there. Because what you came for, you didn't get. So when we don't get what we come to church for, there's a tendency to just say, well, I want to go somewhere else. There's an anointing somewhere else. And as you go through these kinds of changes that we're going through now, what it does is it sorts out why people go to church. When Pastor Sam resigned and retired, there were people where their families split. And Jesus said that'll happen. Some families said, well, Pastor Sam's gone. They left because they were there because of Pastor Sam. They weren't there because of Jesus and the Word. But there were others, and I really admired them because... And I wasn't planning to go this direction at all this morning. There were others, and I really admired them. Even though their family went somewhere else, they stayed here because they believed God had assigned them here. And so it's sort... But that's a maturing process to discover why, we, why we're here. And sometimes we have to adjust why we're here. So I felt when God asked me this question, you know, are we here to have church or to be the church? It makes all the difference in the world. Having church is to attend, to belong, to support, to participate, 
and to enjoy. I'll go over that again. None of these are bad. To have church means I attend there. I belong to it. I have a sense of belonging to it. I support it. I give of my tithes and offerings. And I participate in it. And I enjoy the experience. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all we're doing, we're just having church. And you can do those things at a social club. You can go belong to a social club. You can pay your dues. You can participate in it. And you can enjoy the Saturday night events or whatever they have. And come out there saying, boy, it's great to be a Kiwanis or an owl or whatever it is you may call it. Whatever bird or animal they call them. And have this wonderful social club. And church can become a social club. And again, part of, part of being the body of Christ is that we enjoy and be connected to one another. So there's nothing wrong with any of these things we're talking about this morning, but that's not it. If that's all that binds us together, what happens is when things start changing, when what binds me to the church starts changing, I go find somewhere else to get that need. I go find, some, I go find somewhere else to get my needs satisfied instead of listening to what the Spirit of God is telling me to do. And the problem is when we do that, we don't mature. One of the difficulties with church today is that so many churches are streaming on, online. And of course, we have our programs televised. They're recorded, so they're not, on li- they're not live. And so people can choose to stay home and quote-unquote go to church. It used to be called bedside assembly. <laughs> What used to be funny is I would go through the lunchroom at school when their kids were here and, and I'd visit the kids. I love talking to them. And you see these kids with smiling faces. Oh, Pastor, we saw you on TV Sunday. <laughs> Not realizing they told me that they stayed home. <laughs> and the problem with getting your church, and I know I'm talking to people that are here, not on TV, but the problem with getting your church through, just through television, I watch programs, but not to supplement my experience, or, or, to, or to say, well, I, I, you know, I just, I'm not getting what I need here anymore, I'm going to go somewhere else, means I'm now in charge of my maturing. How many of you parents would put your little children in charge of their maturing? How many of you would put them in charge of what they eat? They're going to eat what's enjoyable. They're going to eat what's pleasant. They're not necessarily going to eat what helps them to grow and become strong. And so the Word of God, in the, under the, in, in, this is why God has pastors, shepherds, under-shepherds under the Lord Jesus Christ, are to, is to shepherd the church. In fact, in Ezekiel, we're going to get there, not today, but in Ezekiel, I think it's in 35 34, he chides the, 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 the priests because they weren't doing what shepherds were supposed to do. They weren't feeding the people. They weren't teaching them. And it's interesting as you read through Paul's letters, especially the later letters, Paul doesn't write long letters encouraging the church. He corrects them so that they'll grow and mature. And he corrects them about issues today that if you mention people will get offended and leave. He talks about living with somebody you're not married to. I mean of the opposite sex in a physical relationship. He talks about, 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 he talks about heart issues, things that if you, they're not user-friendly in a church today, but they're the Word of God. They're what causes us to grow and mature. So to, to have church is to do wonderful things, but it's because of what I get out of it. To be the church is a very different thing, and that's what we're going to talk about. To be the church is, listen carefully, is to accept the purpose that Christ birthed the church for and to conform to the standards of the one who created the church. I've told you before, this is in kindergarten. But we're not in a time to go play recess either. We're living in very dangerous times in their souls and their people's lives at stake in what we do. It's sobering times. Nothing to be afraid of, but it's sobering times. To be the church means to accept the purpose and to conform to the standards of the one who created 
the church. I'm going to say it one more time. To be the church means to accept the purpose and conform to the standards of the one who created the church. Now it's interesting. The word church in the Greek is the word ecclesia, from which we get ecclesiastics, ecclesiastical and things like that. That word literally is a breakdown of two Greek components. There's ek, ek, which is to mean out of, and klesia, which comes from a word that means to be called. So the word ecclesia means to be called out from a group and called together for a purpose. And that's what Peter says. We're the people of God called by His name. I forgot how the rest of it goes, but you know the song. It's that right out of the Scriptures. So the church, the word church in the Greek means people that have been called out of the world, the world's systems, the world's purposes, the world's value, the world's goal, and called together for a purpose together. Which is why the true church will never blend into the world. The true church cannot be like the world. The Word says, if you, if you and Paul, I think it wrote, he says, if, if you want to be in love with the world, then you can't be in love with God. Because they're going in opposite directions. They're actually opposed to each other. Because there's a spirit of the world, and that's Satan. And then there's a spirit of the church, which is God's spirit. And they don't mix. They don't mix. So to be the church means that we've accepted and are working towards fulfilling the purpose for which we were called out of the world. You weren't just called out of the world to go to heaven. Because I've used this expression before. If that's true, God would give every preacher a Bible and a gun. And the moment you said, yes, Lord, amen, because from the moment you say amen, all you can do is get in trouble. (laughs) No, He's left us here for a purpose. That's why He left the disciples here. We're going to look at that. He called them, He equipped them, or He trained them, and then He left and turned it over to them and that was, that's what the book of Acts is about. And the book of Acts is not finished yet. We're still in the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is the story of the church carrying out what the head of the church started. But it's also to accept his standards. Standards of living. Standards of dealing with one another. Not just belonging to something and doing whatever I want to do. So that's what we're going to begin to look at. For three and a half years, or, or for at the beginning, Jesus was preaching, and then he chose 12 men. And if you were to go to a leadership course on how to choose your leadership team, you would not have chosen those 12 men. One of them was a traitor, and Jesus knew who he was. There were rough, uneducated men, full of zeal, fighting with each other, jealous of each other, I mean right up to the end. We're going to see as we go into it, they were filled with unbelief, and yet He chose them. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. (laughs) He can do something with us if we'll let Him. And for three and about three and a half years, He taught them. They lived with Him for most of the time. Times He sent them out, and they came back to Him. But they lived with Him. He taught them. He taught them things He didn't teach other people. He trained them. He not only taught them what to do, but He sent them out and equipped them to go do it. And when they came back, He gave them a report card on how they did it. And His last instructions of Jesus to the staff that He had trained and caught gives us an insight into why we're here. In fact, it's more than an insight, it's clear directions. And I'm going to make this statement. I want to put my glasses on to make sure I read it carefully. This is what has got to get across to us. The only reason the church exists is to carry out these purposes. The only reason the church exists is to carry out these purposes. 
a number of years ago, I felt the Lord tell me while I was in here in prayer, why are you here? Not me, the church. Kind of the same question. So I, I pulled out our vision statement. He said, that's good, but it's not my answer. Why, why are you here? And he called me back to these things, and he said, everything this church does, from counseling to teaching to, you know, church picnics, everything is to somehow be connected to enabling the church to carry out these purposes. Because otherwise, it doesn't have my authority behind it. The only reason the church exists is to carry out these purposes. And listen carefully to this statement. The church's moral authority, the church's moral authority only comes from its fulfilling their responsibilities. You'll see that in a minute. We get the church outraged at certain things that are going on in our society today, and there's more and more and more of them. Outraged at, at, the, at the complete change about all this business about gender and, 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 and sexual orientation and, and openness. And I drive past churches and they'll have, you know, rainbow colors out there and say, we're open and accept anybody. Jesus is open and accept anybody, but He doesn't leave you where you are. <laughs> he loves everybody, but He doesn't expect you to change once you've accepted Him. He doesn't leave you where you are. God has standards. It's called holiness. And the Bible says you can't get into heaven unless you're holy. That went over big. <laughs> but it's true. Now you can't make yourself holy. That's what Jesus does for you. But you can't come to Christ and then just live the way you want to live and live an unholy lifestyle. This is what the Word of God says. And, but the problem is the church is trying to object to and stand for certain things when they've lost sight of their motive of why we're here. So our own, this will come together, just to hang with me. The church's moral authority to speak the truth comes only because we're carrying out what God put us to, because our moral authority comes from Him, not us. Our moral authority doesn't come because we're right, it comes because we're standing in for Him, and He's right. The moral authority that the prophets of the Old Testament had was because they spoke for God. That's what a prophet is. A prophet, an Old Testament prophet, well, still even somewhat today. A prophet sees things from God's perspective. A prophet carries around God's heart and speaks God's heart and God's mind on things into the church. It's not just predicting the future. It's Marianne Brown was a great example of that. Those of you remember her. It was wonderful because she'd come and offend everybody. And people loved her because she spoke the truth in love. And we miss her so much because we, we, Pastor Sam had that edge to him, a prophetic edge. I mean, he would speak something what was right and wrong, and people would respond to that. And the church doesn't have many of those anymore. Our moral authority, our authority to do anything in this world, only comes from God, and that only comes when we're doing what He's put us here to do for the reasons He's put us here to do. There were many times in Israel's history. Israel was a great example of this. Israel was created by God for His purpose. And His main purpose was to be an exhibit to the world of what God is like as a real living God because the rest of the world made their own gods up. They worshipped wooden idols and golden idols and brass idols. They worshipped uh, thousands. We have nations today and religions that worship thousands of idols but they don't worship the true and living God. So God created a nation for Himself so that it would be an exhibit to the world of what God was like. In fact, God chose the place where He was putting them, which they called the Promised Land, which today is Palestine. He put them there because that, at that time was the crossroads of the major trade routes between China in the east and Europe and, and, and the uh, world in the west so that as they would travel to the east and see these wonderful riches of the east and bring them back, they would discover the wonderful riches in God's people. I mean, Solomon had people coming from all, Queen of Sheba came to see what God had done for them. There was a witness of what their God was like. So they had a purpose that God had created. And the ultimate purpose was through them, God would bring forth His Son, the Messiah, to save all of mankind. 
But Israel, in many times, they didn't live for his purpose. They lived for their own purposes. And one of those clear examples, I had the scriptures, but I'm not going to go there, was in Samuel's day, when Samuel was a young boy, a prophet. God raised him up and, and, and brought him to Eli through his mother Hannah. Eli was a high priest. But Eli loved his sons and he loved people's approval more than he loved the purpose of God that God had put him there for. And so God brought Samuel there and chapter 3 verse 1 says, at that time the word of God was rare in Israel in the presence of God. Eventually the presence of God, the presence of God left. Now we sang this morning about the presence of God. We sang calling on the Holy Spirit in the presence of God, but we're going to see today that the presence of God only comes to fulfill the purpose of God. It doesn't come to give us goosebumps. We may get goosebumps, but that, he does, he's, not, he's not a form of entertainment. That's having church, is to be entertained and get out of it what I want to get out of it. Being the church means doing what we're here to do. And in the process, He will bring His presence here, He will empower us, and we'll have the greatest time you've ever had, but it's to carry out His purposes, not our purposes. And we're at a crossroads where as a church we have to make that decision, which way are we going to go? And I can't make that decision for you. I can make it for me, I can pray for it for us, but it's only something that the Spirit of God can do in your heart, and my heart, if we're open. And He's challenging me with this. So there were times in Israel's history when they were not fulfilling His purposes and didn't really care about His purposes. All they cared about was their purposes and eventually God's Spirit was withdrawn from them. And then when they would repent and get their minds back on God's purpose, God would bring His Spirit back in. So what is the purpose? Most of you know this, but we're going to go over it because we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to make this clear to us. Before we get into it, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Some of my favorite and least favorite scriptures at the same time. And if you have verses that you love and, lo- and hate at the same time, <laughs> well, I don't hate any of it. I just, it makes me uncomfortable. But it's the truth. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus has just finished what we call the Sermon on the Mount. But I want to show you some distinction here. Verse 21. And not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven. I thought all we got to do is call on the name of the Lord and we're saved, yes. But calling on the name of the Lord doesn't just mean speaking out Lord, Lord. It requires a change on the inside of us. Because what does Lord mean? Lord's not a title. Lord's not a name. It's His title. I've forgotten a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if John's here, um, uh, he reminded me that a quote from John Bevere of how many times in the New Testament Lord appears and how many times Savior appears. It's like five times more he was referred to as Lord than he is Savior. He is Savior, but Savior alone isn't enough. He's got to be Lord. And what does Lord mean? Lord means He's the boss. Lord means it's His purposes that we're here to fulfill. So what does He say here? He says, but not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So if he's Lord, then we're going to be doing his will. I'm not saying perfect. We're not talking about being perfect. It's why I live. It's what my purpose is. It's what the purpose of this church is. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven me. Look at this. This is startling words. And it's in red, so I know Jesus said it. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? We could summarize this way. Have we not had church in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now look, here's the key. You who practice lawlessness. What's lawlessness? Lawlessness doing what I think ought to be done. And it can be good. It can be prophesying in His name. It can be casting out demons. It can be raising the dead. But if I'm doing it 
because it's what I think is good to do and not because I'm carrying out His will, that's lawlessness. Notice what He says. Go, go back to verse 21. Many of will say to me, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22. Many, notice this, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? Start there. In other words, have we not done many great things for you? This is so important. Have we not done great things for you? I mean, we prophesied in your name. And people say, well, how come we don't have more prophecy here? I don't know. But I'm not going to have prophecy to have prophecy. <laughs> to walk out and say, whoo, we had some good words today. And we had church. Cast out demons in your name. What if we had a demon casting out service? Wow, we had church today. And these are things we're told to do. And done many wonders in your name. In other words, we did what we wanted to do in your name. I'm going to say that again. It's an important distinction. We did wonderful things that your word says to do, but we did what we chose to do in your name. Go back to verse 21. And I said, he who does the will of my Father. Well, aren't those things the will of my Father? Yes, they may be, but he's not saying who did these things. He said, he who's committed to do the Father's will, not what they think is best. Go to verse 24. I think that's the last one. Yeah. No, no, verse 23. And I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice what you thought was right, what you purposes were, and not my purposes. That's lawlessness. In fact, I think it's in James or it's in Romans. It, de- it defines sin as lawlessness. Lawless means I'm my own law. I decide what's right and wrong. I de- and I can make good decisions. I can decide to do things that are right, but I'm not doing what God's called me to do. I'm not doing what, then I'm not under his lordship. A servant didn't decide what were good things to do for the master, they did what the master said. And many times we want to do good things for the Lord because we don't want to do the things he's telling us to do. So I figure, you know, it's like kids. Well, I'm going to clean my room, I'm going to do all kinds of good things, but I was told to go rake the leaves, and I, I hated raking leaves. The only thing I hated worse than raking leaves was weeding the garden. I mean, I won't go there. But I clean my room. I just don't want to go rake leaves because it's boring. And as soon as you get them raked, more fall. I don't want to go there. (laughs) I guess that's why it's called fall. All right. So let's find out what is this? What is it we're here to do? Matthew 28. Now Jesus has finished his training, he's finished his teaching, and he's been crucified, he's been raised from the dead. Everybody okay? All right. We're going to pick up, this is the Great Commission, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to a mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw Him, look at this, they worshipped Him, and some doubted. This astounds me. These are the eleven that are left over. These are the eleven that walked with him for three and a half years, saw him walk on water, saw him feed thousands of people twice, saw him raise the dead, saw him Lazarus come out bound out of the grave. They saw him crucified. Well, they didn't see him crucified, only one of them saw it. And they've seen him. He's walked among them for 40 days. He's let them touch his hands. We're going to see he ate food with them and it didn't fall through. <laughs> he ate it. And now he's up on this mountain. They're worshiping him, but some doubted. That gives me hope. <laughs> Shows you that seeing is not believing. Verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, This is it. All 
authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I talked to you about moral authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We're not going to get into how that happened, but we could. These are all tied together. So all authority has been given to me in heaven. Well, I will go into a little bit. And all authority has been given to me on the earth. How is it given to him? He bought it back. Because that authority was originally given to Adam when God set Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave them a job to do. Everybody say job. job. He gave them a job to do. They were to, they were to take care of the land. They were to till the, the soil. They were to water it. They were to protect it. And they, they gave that, and therefore they had an authority over the earth. And Satan comes, and what they do is they give their authority to Satan. They submit their authority to him. And ever since then, mankind has been subject to Satan's authority. So when Jesus comes on the scene, and he's been filled with the Holy Spirit, and he goes into the wilderness to be tested by the devil, Satan comes and offers to give that authority to him. Because Satan knows why he's come. Satan knows he's come to get that authority back from him. So what he does, he's sneaky. He says, I'm going to make this easy for you. You don't have to come and suffer. You don't have to die on that cross. I'll give you the authority you came for. All you got to do is just bow down and worship me. Nobody's looking. Just for a second. A nanosecond. Just let your knee touch the ground. And, and I'll give you the The problem was the source of the authority would still have been Satan. Jesus didn't compromise why he came. He knew why he'd come. He knew what he was here to do. And so he didn't take a shortcut to get that authority some easier way because we'd all be lost today if he did. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, says that Satan is the god of this world. Jesus, in his last dissertation with the disciples, talked again about Satan is the one that has the authority in this earth. But now what Jesus did is because Jesus, he was the second Adam. He came to be obedient where the first Adam was disobedient. So that now all of those who are in Christ are under His original authority again, no longer under Satan's authority. Colossians 1.13 says we've been transferred from the dominion of darkness, the authority of darkness, and we've been transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. When you became... When you came to Christ, you changed kingdoms, you changed the authority that you were under. So now we're under His authority. So when we do what He calls us to do, His authority flows through us. The reason there's no more, there's not any power in the church today is we're not here to carry out His purposes. Because look what He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, verse 19. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This authority was given to me so that you can go in that authority and carry out my purpose for the church, which is to make disciples out of all nations. Disciple is not somebody that's a convert. A disciple is a disciplined one who's following in the image of the one that he's given himself to, as those disciples were baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't want to go there today, but God's had me re-examining why we do baptism and when we do baptism. We'll talk about that later on. And the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. So the first purpose that we've been given... Oh, just keep going. Verse 20, I'm sorry. Teaching them to observe all the things that I commanded you. So it's not just to get them saved. It's not just to put another notch on your spiritual gun and say, I got three people saved this week to make disciples of them. This is why we're beginning courses to help train people. What does it mean to be a Christian? To help them begin their walk with Christ. Too many churches are growing by transfer. So somebody doesn't like something at one church, so they move over to another church. That's not growing the body of Christ. I don't want to do that. I want this church to grow by bringing new converts in 
out of the lost world and then in discipling them to grow in Christ and train them to go out and make disciples of others. So the work of the church should not be in here. It should be out at your workplace. It should be at the supermarket. This is where we come in to get refreshed. This is where we come in to get trained. This is where we come in to get equipped. This is where we come in to, to touch base with one another and to go back out there and do what God's put us here to do. And lo, I am with you. Who's low here? If anybody low here, God's with you. That's Pastor Sam's old joke. <laughs> it doesn't work today. I'm not Pastor Sam. I'm not, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's saying, to them, this is your commission. And I'm with you in this. I'm not just sending you out, sitting in heaven, watching to see how well you do. I'm with this in you. And we're going to see how he is shortly. All right, that's one side of the commission. There are several sides to this. But notice to teach them to observe all that I've commanded. So it's not just to get them saved. They've got to begin to develop to live like He lived, to live the way He said. That's what I told you. To be the church means not only do I commit myself to its purposes, but I begin to conform myself to His standards. And we need to train people today that there are standards to our lifestyle. Mark chapter 16. This is another side of the same commission. Verse 14. Later he appeared to the eleven as he sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief. There he is again. He rebuked their unbelief and the hardness of their heart because they didn't believe those who had seen him after he'd been raised from the dead. I mean, he talked about this for three years. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be raised from the dead on the third day. And they still didn't get it. Because of the hardness of heart, they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Verse 15, And he said to them, Go into all the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we saw in Matthew's version of this that we're to make disciples. Here we're to preach the gospel. Now when I did a series on this several years ago, we spent a lot of time on this part and what these words mean. Preach. We think of preaching as what I'm doing now. We think of preaching as, you know, spitting, spitting and swatting bees, you know. The, the, the pastor got all, ups, all excited, was jumping around the stage. Wow, we had church today! And that's good. But preaching means to declare or proclaim something. To declare or proclaim, and gospel we spent weeks on several years ago, simply means the good news. And to proclaim, to go into all the world, not wait for them to come to us, proclaim the good news and to every creature. Now look what happens after that. Verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. We'll talk about that later on. He who does not believe will be condemned. Stop here a second. Look at what's involved. Look at what's at stake here. The church is to go and proclaim the good news. We don't make people believe or not believe. But here's what is at stake. If they believe the good news, then they'll be saved. If they don't believe it, they're condemned because they've rejected the good news. When you share Christ with somebody and they say no, they've never rejected you. They've rejected Him. In fact, when you get into a conversation with somebody, you can talk to them about God, you can talk to them about Faith Christian Center, you can talk to them about your favorite preacher, you can talk to them about things you've read, you can, oh, and they'll just listen to you, they'll engage in conversation. Well, I believe this, but the moment you mention Jesus, they don't see you anymore. They react or respond to who, what they think of Him. And here's what's at stake. Here's what's at stake. They're either going to be saved eternally or condemned or damned eternally based on their response to the good news we proclaim. But we'll look down the road in Romans chapter 10. It says, but if we don't proclaim it, they can't believe it. And we'll be going there. Okay, Matt, verse 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. So we want to see these signs and wonders, but they only follow those that believe. In my name... They will cast out demons in my... They will speak with new tongues. I thought you just said, Pastor, in, in, Ma, in Matthew 7, that they did these things and 
God wasn't happy with them. No, they did it in His name. This is doing what He tells them to do. Difference. They will speak with new tongues. That gets people upset. They will take up serpents. Now, He's not saying that we're going to go bring a, next week a bucket of rattlesnakes in here, because that's called tempting God. Paul was bitten by a snake on his way to, on his way to Rome. But Paul didn't go play with a snake and then it bit him. Paul was reaching into a bunch of wood to get some wood to start a fire and the snake bit him. And by the way, he was in the middle of God's will. He was on the way to Rome to fulfill what God had called him to do, which was to bring the gospel before Caesar. So he was on the road to carry out God's will and went through all kinds of shipwrecks and trouble and a snake bite. But as a result, he just shook it off And they thought he was going to swell up and die because of the type of snake it was. It was highly venomous. But it, he didn't swell up and he didn't die. Now they think he's a god. And we won't go into all that. Okay. So it's, it's not... But if in the process... What he's showing you is in the process of carrying out your purpose, if something happens to you, you'll be protected and taken care of. It will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We're going to talk more about that. And they will... Recover. Verse 19. So that after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through accompanying signs. Those are miracles. We want to see the signs and miracles, but they're predominantly to give it, to give witness to the Word that it is God's Word that's been spoken. God will heal us, but God's, the miracles are primarily the dinner bell for the Gospel. Okay, one last thing. Luke 24. Luke's version. Now Luke was not one of the disciples. Luke was an, a, a physician that came along afterwards and collected these stories from people that were disciples. And Luke has a very trained mind the way he analyzes these things and writes these things down. 33, verse 33. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen and He has appeared to Simon. And they told him about all the things that had happened on the road and, and how He was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, As they said these things, Jesus Himself stood in their midst and said, Peace to you. So why would He need to say, Well, if He just suddenly appeared here, we need Him to say peace to us also. Because you're not used to seeing something, just somebody just show up in a room. And not just anybody, but Jesus in all His glory. He didn't show up in His skinny jeans and His tie-dye t-shirt. He showed up in all His glory. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they'd seen a spirit. And he said, why are you troubled? Why do your doubts arise in your heart? Here again, this is the third version, and they're struggling with what's happened. We're going to see why in a few minutes. We'll just get to introduce this. They're struggling with what's happened. Why are you troubled and why are doubts arising in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet. That it is I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have... You know, we're hard on Thomas, because I think it's in John's version. He's doubting, and you know, he wasn't there the first time. But this is the rest of the disciples. They're still struggling with it. So Jesus said, look, these are my hands. See that? Stick your finger in the hole there. I'm the one they put the nail hole in my feet. See my side? Stick your hand in there. They needed physical evidence. Verse 40. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe, <laughs> they still did not believe. For joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you got any food to eat? I'm hungry. This is me. But when, I, when, I'm tell, when something's my idea, I'll tell you it's mine. I, I think he's going to do this just to show off that he's not a ghost. Because if a ghost takes a piece of fish, it's going to go right through them because there's no substance to them. 
So I believe in some way he's showing them that I am more real than your bodies. Have you got any food to eat here? Verse 42. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. Verse 43. And he took it and ate it in their presence. And I imagine they're kind of watching. (laughs) They're human. That's what I would do. Verse 44. And he said to them these words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. This is why we've had to go through this. Verse 45. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Verse 46. And he said to them, Thus it is written, it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. See, they understood. These were Jews. They understood that the Messiah was coming. And, but they missed uh, Isaiah 53, which said before He's comes and reigns, He's got to suffer for you and die in your place. And so He said, I had to do these things to fulfill what was prophesied about me, to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. Verse 47. And look at this. So here's another aspect of it. He told, he told them their commission in Matthew was to go and make disciples of all nations. In Mark, he says, go and proclaim the gospel. Now what he says, so that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. You don't hear that much anymore. You hear, come to Jesus because your life will be better. Come to Jesus because you'll have peace. Come to Jesus because you'll have hope. All those things are true, but He requires repentance. That went over big. And remission of sins, that your sins need to be remitted. You can't remit your sins, but you can't, he, they, he can't remit them until you repent. Repentance is the place of freedom. At the cross, you lay your sins down by saying, they're sins. They're not the problem I have. They're not the result of my parents and what they did to me. It's sin. I may struggle with it. It may be a problem. But sin is sin. And that repentance and remissions of sin should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at home. That's Jerusalem. Beginning at Jerusalem. Verse 48. And you are witnesses of these things. Verse 49 is where I wanted to get to. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Stop there a second. So now what we've seen, they've been told. You collect this together. Because we're talking about being the church. Why are we here? And he's telling them because this church is going to be birthed, the church is going to be birthed through them. So he told them, first of all, your commission is to go into, all, go into all the world. Not sit in church. Go into all the world and, and make disciples of all nations. Teach and reserve all that I've commanded you. In Mark's gospel, he said, go into all the world and proclaim the good news. And then sh- these signs and wonders will follow you. Now here in Luke, he says, go into the world and proclaim repentance from sin and the remission of those sins through my sacrifice. He's, he's trained them. He's taught them. He's been crucified, buried, raised from the dead, demonstrated himself for them. And now he's sending them out to go. But one more instruction. This is where the church misses it. But wait, Terry in the city of Jerusalem, what he's saying here is, you've got all this knowledge, all this calling, all this purpose, but you need something else. You need something else. I mean, these are his disciples. We're not talking about people that are graduates of Gordon-Conwell or Zion or some other Bible school. We're not talking about people that have a, a, you know, a, 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 all kinds of degrees after their name. And we're, we're, not, we're talking about men that knew what his breath smelled like in the morning. Men that knew what color of eyes he had, that un- could, could f- still remember the touch of his hand upon him, the sound of his voice. Men that had watched him raise the dead. Men that had watched him 
feed thousands of people through them. Men that had watched him walk on water in the middle of a terrifying storm. They watched all these things. These men had personal experience. Three of them went up on a mountain with him and he went off a little ways to pray and all of a sudden his clothes started to shine and glisten and two men just showed up. Elijah and was it Moses, whoever the other one? And he's having this conversation and if that's not good enough, an audible voice speaks from heaven. says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. I mean... You talk about experiences. You talking about having church. These men had Him. They had church. And they still had trouble believing. And with all of that, He says, you don't have enough yet. You're not equipped with what it's going to take to do it. Why does the church today who have not seen into his eyes, who have not smelled his breath, who have not felt his touch, who have not seen him walk on water, who have not seen him raise the dead, who have not walked with him for three why do we think we don't need what they needed with all that? With all the urgency of this commission he's given them, he's saying, this is urgent, souls are at stake, but you're not equipped yet, wait! Until you're dude with power from on high. So to do what I'm calling you to do, you can't run out there in your own zeal, and your own enthusiasm. You need power. And not the ever-ready bunny's power that comes in two little cells. You need power that's from on high. Power that's from on high. And next week, we're going to look at that power. Amen. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we just worship you today. We've come to accept your call. Lord, this morning in this place, including me, there are hearts and motives all over the spectrum of possibilities. There may be some young people that don't even want to be here this morning. They're just here because their parents made them come. There are others that are here for many other kinds of reasons. There may be some struggling this morning with whether they should continue to come because they're uneasy about the changes and what some people are out there trying to say. And Lord, we come to you just to be honest with you about where we are. Lord, you, you, you respond to honesty. You, you, you are moved by honesty. You, under, you already know where we are. So we're not telling you anything you don't know. We come to open our hearts to you, Father. Because as we see from the Word today, there's a reason why you put us here. And, and we've tried. And we've done okay in some areas. But there's so much at stake now, Lord, in us being lined up to why you established this church, why you preserve this church, and what you're preparing this church to do. And this church is us. It's not this building. It's everyone here this morning, Lord, that will join up with this vision, your vision, your authority, your power. We confess to you, Father, that many times we've just been lazy and complacent. And we've just come for what we get out of it. And you know that. Lord, sometimes we've tried to do things and make them happen. And they've just not really succeeded because we're trying in our own strength. Because our motives are not exactly your motives. Or maybe our motives are your motives, but we're not doing it your way. And so we come to be honest before you this morning. As your people here today. And call upon the precious Holy Spirit to begin to work in our hearts to bring us to that place of repentance to bring us to that place of honesty before you that opens the door of our heart where you can begin to do the work that only your spirit can do in our hearts we sang earlier for the spirit of God to pour out but Lord may he pour out first of all in our hearts 
May he pour out to soften our hearts. May he pour out to break down the hard places. May he pour out to reveal our motives that our motives may change. May he pour out, Lord, to bring us in line with your purposes and your calling. Father, don't let anybody leave here condemned today because it's not your heart to condemn, but it is your heart to challenge because you love us, because you're a good father. And so we put these words, we put what's been done this morning into your hands, the hands of your spirit, to do in us what only he can do. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.